0: Hi. Hi there. here. We are up to nearly 900 people. I think we can kick the show off. Hello, everyone. I'm Jeffrey Boparai, and this is my friend Jill Booth. She's joined us from Central Otago. Jill, would you please introduce yourself and a bit of your background?
1: Um, Hi, everybody out there. I am Jill Booth. I'm a very ordinary wife and mum. I was um, in a lucky position to be an at-home mum while my children were at school and it was at that time that they were at school that I um, seriously fell into the topic that we're going to be talking about tonight so yeah I'm I'm in my 60s um, and I'm the youngest of six children so you question everything and you're quite militant um, about <laughs> how you go about things so you know that's probably given me a bit of my fighting background but yeah so that's it.
0: And your parents, they emigrated uh, to New Zealand?
1: Well, they did. My, my parents were 10 pound poms um, when Britain was trying to populate New Zealand and it was devastated from the Second World War. Mm-hmm. So my dad grew up in England and my mother grew up in Nazi occupied Holland. So socialism and how tyranny works, um, was very much their their background, and of course, it became it became ours. So yes, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, I am just Bhoparai. as uh, just like Jill, I too am a wife and mum. I'm forty-two. My children are six and four, and my husband and I we manage uh, two adjoining dairy farms, fifteen hundred cows, uh, right at the bottom of South Island, about ten kilometres from the Southern Ocean. And uh, Jill and I have connected over the last year through a few other like-minded groups, basically working in the rural space, the agricultural space, and of course, the United Nations and the agenda space. So our hope for this evening is to be able to give everyone a more of a bird's eye view about how United Nations, and specifically the agendas, Agenda 2030, becomes a wrapped gift wrap for us as the Sustainable Development Goals has actually come about. We won't go into the real nitty gritties of, you know, the 17 sustainable goals. We'll leave them for a later session. Ajil?
1: Yes, we'll do that. We'll, we'll break them down for you.
0: Yes. Oh, I hear someone, uh, I see someone messaging saying that the police want to come into our homes now, communism out of control. Yes, and uh, quite a bit of what we'll be discussing about the United Nations uh, tonight would be focusing on a few of these aspects that we see now coming really rapidly. Uh, more specifically, if we just go into the origins of uh, United Nations, before, this body came about after the Second World War, 1945 was when I believe uh, Roosevelt and a, few, a handful of other countries signed up. And at that point, the purpose of being for the United Nations was to sort of end the scourge of war and make sure that after all the devastation and the terrible scenes that came out of the Second World War, the world does not reach that point again. All very nice sounding humanitarian goals, but today, 75 years later, it's amazing to see how far United Nations has come from what those originally innocuous sounding goals were. Uh, Jill, would you like to add something here?
1: I just got distracted by a comment and I said that I'd never do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the United Nations, um, yes, it did grow out of the Second World War and it grew out of something called the League of Nations. And so its goal was world peace. But in 75 years, we can see that wherever the, the United Nations has been, it has left a massive trail of destruction behind it and behind those destruction you know those those trails of destruction um lie the same people so so we have a a very serious world organization in the united nations that has is making policy um or directing the policy of 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 countries throughout the world so that it can become the power that it wants to be and and it's very important, if you don't understand about the United Nations and its agendas and how it works, you'll never tack everything that is going on in your life right now back to it. So it's really important that, that this is like the core of information. And once you understand the United Nations and its agendas, um, then you will see how everything um, fits into place. Your turn, Jasper. Take it.
0: <laughs> right. I am going to see if I can share my screen. So, yep. my, I believe uh, Jill got into looking more into United Nations. Uh, was it when your son got a computer? About? Well, my, my,
1: here, yeah, my my youngest child went to school. We got a home computer. Yeah. And then a massive, well, it was September 11th happened. Um, and and of course that came with a lot of questions so and that's how I came across um what they used to call the new world order and when I first read about it I I just I I rolled my eyes at it really but I tucked it away in the back of my mind um and that's how I fell into it yeah yeah for me
0: this was uh, my introduction to United Nations. My dad's battalion, my dad was a lieutenant colonel then, and this is his formation in Somalia that you see, five mahar borders, UN. And they moved to Somalia um, late 92, uh, nearly, so nearly 30 years ago. And I was 12 then, I'm 42 today. And uh, dad came back after 18 months. And uh, from his, of course, as army person, serving person, you can't really say much, but all the time he was there, I would see my mother waiting for the last um, BBC radio, unlike BBC that you don't trust today. At that time, the BBC radio was a trusted source, and she would wait till 10 p.m. for the last uh, bulletin to come through and make sure that, you know, because uh, there was no internet, no phones. And those 18 months of um, waiting, watching, hoping all is well with someone in a war zone sort of had that impression, left a deep impression on me. My dad also lost seven men in an ambush. Uh, that's my father here, incidentally, uh, that says uh, they were protecting an Irish road crew there. And my dad lost seven men in an ambush, five were captured alive that they managed to get out. But when you live through scenes like this, it's hard to switch off from it. By some coincidence, my brother, who's now a serving Colonel, he was rotated to DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo, 2008-ish. And so I've had two immediate family members talking about the UN, talking about how dissatisfied they were with their tenures. My dad went in the fighting arms and my brother was a UN observer. So his job was more to see how well the United Nations different programs were, you know, taking place in Congo. So be the food distribution, the sanitation, the vaccination, the road building, whatever. And other than that, with multiple generations, the army, I have friends, family members, everyone full of their stories about what happened. But this is a face that you see right now on your screen. This is Antonio Guterres, currently the United Nations Secretary General. And uh, we heard him being quoted very recently by James Shaw, right? As he took off uh, for his uh, conference to Scotland saying that there's a code red for humanity. Watch this face. This is a face you'll be seeing more frequently uh, Antonio was initially appointed for a five-year term in the uh, UN as a Secretary General. This June, without any opposition, he was re-elected for a second term, so he's going to be there for another five years. But his history goes back to, I believe, 2003 or 4. it was, when he was the Commissioner of the Refugee Program in the UN. Antonio Guterres came into that after resigning from um, the Prime Ministership of Portugal. He was uh, he's a part of the Socialist Party and after one term the second term saw his government floundering and ultimately he resigned but right away uh, a fellow a socialist was picked up by the UN sort of earmarked for good things and he's been around here for 20 years at this point in time and he's a person that if you go through his history you will see everything that we, that we Jill and I, we were seeing in the chat about people talking about communism, socialism, police and everything. He's a person who's been repeatedly talking about how the world needs to do more about the climate, how we are at the brink of an ecocide. Uh, I believe last week he quoted that, what's wrong with the adults in the world? Children are able to understand the climate crisis, which uh, adults cannot. So you have uh, all these faces there who are, supposedly in a pandemic are pushing us towards achieving all these goals for the United Nations. We have a prime minister right now at the helm of affairs who presented a voluntary scorecard at the UN goalkeepers conference. And this ties in very, very closely with all the legislative changes, the most recent uh, being three waters that we've, you know, seen that all the councils in New Zealand and Jill and I have both been working on it. She has been trying to press her community for a referendum on three waters, telling them to ask the council for a referendum on it. But I think both of us in the back of our minds, Jill, we were aware that
1: it's going to be through any case. What do you think? It's, um, yeah, everything, everything that is coming through your council at the moment on your local government level um, is predetermined and and this all comes directly from the united nations i have got a weird idea that we're actually talking to the converted here (laughs) (laughs) but but you know um i do photography and every so often you get so lost in the technical aspect of your camera that you need to go back to the basics to to go back to relearning what you're doing and i think it's the same with the united nations you know, a lot of us already know a lot of the peripheral stuff, but we need to go back to the core to understand where all of this comes from. So, the United Nations has a plan, <clears throat> and and it has a very serious plan, and it's been it's been in action for a, a very very long time, but it really came to being at the Rio Earth Summit, and this was where um, the climate crisis, climate change, global warming um, was born, and. And that sits at the crux of everything that is now coming through our local councils and our regional councils. Everything hinges on on climate change. Um, So the United Nations gives our central government a framework to work within um, to make their, their dream come true. And then that gets handed down from our central government into our local and our regional councils, which they then must carry through um which is why we've got the mess of, of three waters because now some councils are actually waking up to the fact that this is seriously wrong and and they really are working for their people Tania gray ross um bruce smith and west coast on the west coast they're doing a remarkable job um you know, so, so we have some councils that are now genuinely standing up against the government and saying that we're not going to do this, but basically our local councils have been forced into implementing a socialist agenda, and, and that's exactly going to plan um, as it's been planned. Now, I don't know if any of you are familiar with this, but this is, I'm going to, can you see that, Jasper? Yes, I can. Yeah. Oh, cool, okay. Yeah. So this is Rosa Cory's Behind the Green Mask. And Rosa Corrie is a hero to me, um, even though she sits on the exact political opposite side of the fence to what I do. I'm, I'm a conservative and, and she's classed as an American Democrat. Um, but this woman's knowledge of Agenda 21 and, and how the United Nations Agenda works is astounding um, because she worked within the system. And and her, she puts everything very concisely um, in this book, taking everything back from the Rio Summit, um, climate crisis to how these agendas work within your council. Uh, and it's at the moment something's in your council, it affects your personal life because it, it affects um, where you can go, what you can do, what you can do with the land that you own. Um, who is your next door neighbor, um, where your children go to school. It affects absolutely every aspect of your life. So you need to be very aware of what's going on in local council. Um, yeah, that's that's me for the money. Go for it. <laughs> right, right.
0: So if, if you look at United Nations today, this it has, it's a beast, I would say. I, I can think of no other word to describe it. It's a beast that has an annual budget running in well over $10 billion. Just the US alone, which is about 22% of the contributor, it contributes uh, close to five to six billion. I have seen uh, various debates in the White House, different senators trying to pin an exact figure on how much the US is giving to the United Nations and they themselves are unable to do it. There's figures that float from, oh, do we? is our contribution five billion or is it eight or is it 10 billion? There's such vast disparities because The UN, you have various different arms to it. You have UNICEF, that was the children's emergency relief fund, which is now today translated into the children's education curriculum provider, in a way. All our common core standards, every single thing your children are learning in school comes from that. In fact, if someone is interested, if you were just uh, Google for the world's largest lesson. Now, this is the UN budget that you look at. And uh, if you are able to see it in more detail, the yellow part, to the extreme left, that was the regular budget. These are what countries are built upon. And the biggest part that you see, the biggest contribution to the extreme right, the almost rust colored patch, that was the voluntary contributions. And if you see from 1946 to when the UN was set up after Second World War, till what you look at it today, even after accounting for inflation, the uh, the UN's budget has gone up over 50 times. There is if I go through these are just some of the statistics, the UN has spent more than half a trillion dollar in the last 70 years. David Shearer, who served the organization in Rwanda said, like everyone says, if you didn't have the UN, you would have to invent it. Now, um, this is, if you look at the regular budget of it, the UN United Nations regular budget has more than doubled in 20 years as a result of a considerable increase of in the number of missions and mandates. And many of these mandates are what we see today happening in our government because you have to realize this is a body that has got officers across the world in every country. And right now, everything that you see at the local government level, that's being pushed through right from the top. Uh, and somewhere along the line, United Nations, which job was only and only initially to preserve peace has done anything but that. Its missions, be it its peacekeeping missions in which my family have been part, be it uh, humanitarian missions, they have all been less than ideal, at least in the last couple of decades. Now, we seem to think that this, if you look at this picture right now, these are the contributions for the regular budget. And the ones that are highlighted, that's New Zealand. So we are paying well over 8 million, and this is just the regular budget. After that, you will have your voluntary contributions for which there is no concrete figure. And even OIO requests have failed to let us know exactly how much we are contributing and what sort of benefit is the ratepayer getting out of this money. And uh, this is, yeah, New Zealand is actually on an honor roll. It says that the following 41 members pay their full within 30 days. So we are quite good uh, uh, at paying up to the United Nations, I'd say among the top few countries. We never quibble, we pretty much uh, get a bill and we pay for it right away. Now, the UN right at the top, we seem to think that it's a collaboration. But what happens is the most powerful part of the UN is a security council, 15 members, five of whom are permanent. And these five members have veto powers. The other 10 have elections and you know, they are rotated on and off it. But it is these five countries at the top, UK, your USA, France, Russia, China, these are the ones who have a major influence on whosoever is heading it, like Antonio Guterres, presently the person, the secretary general, he's being appointed by these countries at the top, the ones that have veto power. And to say that his position would not be influenced by the mandates handed down to him by China or USA or whatever is uh, sort of impossible. This position that he holds, there's no formal elections. He's appointed to that. And this particular picture I saw, this is one of the failures of uh, United Nations. When you had uh, huge massacres in Africa, and this was between the Hutu and the Tutsi minorities, 20% of Rwandan population died in a genocide. The United Nations watched. I am just going into this background to be able to show you just a brief line of thought that how far the UN has come from its original mandate and yet the very premise on the basis of which this organization was created is nowhere near completed. We keep hearing that we are at the most peaceful times of, you know, in the present era, but it's anything but, and the amount of misery that's been wrought in many of these, um, in the developing world under the guise of United Nations, one really has to see it read it to believe it that what's actually been happening that an organization that was created for world peace has actually led us all in the position that we are today. This might be a rather jarring
1: visual, Jill, but yeah. <laughs> the, the, the corruption of the UN is is horrific and then you know when you take and have a look at the different branches um, the World Health Organization um, spent more on luxury travel and first-class international hotel um, charges than what they did on AIDS or malaria in in a a few short years. Now, when you're reading stuff like this, you're reading numbers all the time, and um, so I'm not going to quote numbers, but it was was huge money, and and that's actually our money um, that these people are spending. And the strange thing with the United Nations and its corruption is that it's very open, it's not hard to find the information, and they often say it themselves. Um, There's a quote from a guide called Dr. Otmar Endenhofer, and he says, we, meaning the UN and the International Panel for Climate Change, um, redistribute de facto the world's wealth by climate policy. One has to free oneself from the illusion that international climate policy is environmental policy. It has almost nothing to do with environmental policy anymore. You know, and they're open about that. You, you can find that quote. And, and sometimes the best place to hide something is in plain sight. So if you don't know about the corruption of the United Nations, and it's a horror, um their child sex trafficking is legendary yes. um what happened in haiti united nations has been in haiti for 25 years and um and it's a hellhole it really is um it's a very very corrupt organization and it's very deeply embedded in our government it has been since 1992 when jim bolger signed us up to it um All parties in New Zealand play to the United Nations, they go along with it. Nobody is standing up and shouting that this is an unelected organisation. It it has very deep roots in Marxism, and it is bringing our agenda into our country, it's bringing it in through our care centres, through our schools, through our universities, through our local councils. Everything we do, this policy is deeply embedded into it. And another point, I said this to Jasper earlier on tonight, another point I'd really like to make to people out there is that democracy is not just a system of governance. It it is the biggest weapon we have in the toolbox. And, And it's the weapon that these people are so scared of. But to make democracy work, we've got to join together. A- and and because because this United Nation agenda is such a many-headed beast, um, different people have different things that they're fighting. So for some, it may be three waters. For others, it may be the vaccine. For others, it may be um, what's when coming What the child is school. being taught at school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what you can do with your property, how you run your business so when we when we all come to realize that our own personal fight is actually connected to one neck then we can do something about it and we can't do anything about it until we all join together and recognize that our neighbor who is fighting for school curriculum and you're fighting for the vaccine and you don't quite see eye to eye on the issue you're actually still fighting for the same thing at the
0: same time yeah
1: yeah and 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 we need it would be lovely if we learned to use our democracy as a weapon and and the easiest way to rip this whole system out is through your local council because it's the only place you've got a voice and through your local school board because it's the only place you've got a voice you know, so, so it starts at a grassroots level, and, and um, yeah, that's, you know, For, may-
0: for carry- many of us, we seem to think that, or maybe these are the people that I've, I have encountered, many people who seem to think that it's, oh, you are all that, you know, you're all up in arms and you're getting all fired up because it's a labor government. And I've been at pains to tell people that, no, it doesn't matter. It was National who signed us up to it. It's Labour that's implementing it. No matter which party was in power at the center, and I've, I've only been in New Zealand 13 years now, so I, I've only seen three governments, but no matter which uh, party is in power at the center, the United Nations agenda has not stopped in New Zealand. It is, hasn't stopped that when National was here and you were not having all those Eccles cities, and you were not having stopped the sprawl, those sort of programs to make, you know, pack and stack housing it's been happening regardless of it. And now we seem to have another party in the mix, ACT. ACT is now being uh, really, uh, the last couple of polls i have been, uh, not that I watch. I don't have a TV, but uh, Facebook. So I saw David Seymour being pushed as uh, you know a more popular choice for uh, prime minister than um, Ms. Collins. And uh, there's a whole lot of people there, but again, we need to realize that every time media is pushing someone else as another darling, it is the same media that we didn't trust the previous time. Now, David Seymour is someone who came on this freedom tour uh, across the country. And uh, it was not just me, there's people in other places who asked him about the UN agenda, and he flatly denied it. This was uh, May, when he was on, you know, the freedom of speech tour. So there was a libertarian going around and anyone who was speaking up to him at any, I have friends in Christchurch who asked, I had someone in, Hoc- was it Hocatica? Somewhere on the west coast uh, who asked. And at every point his answer was, oh, to me his answer was, you, you come across as a well-spoken nutcase, he says. And uh, to expect that a group unelected can affect the sovereignty and the laws of a country, you know, halfway across the other end of the globe, he says, is laughable. And that really showed me the true side of New Zealand politics. We don't have any person is truly calling this out for what it is we haven't
1: really seen anyone have you Jill in the last couple of decades no I I had um I don't listen to news (laughs) and I don't listen to the radio but I did have the unfortunate event of having to listen to both John Key and Winston Peters and and not one of those neither of those men gave a suggestion to our government that maybe we handle COVID differently um yeah. in a meaningful way. And it was all go and get your vaccine, go and get your vaccine. So they're absolutely on point uh, with their message. A- and the reality is this this is the reality. Labour will do three waters one way. And when you vote them out and you bring a national, they will sell our water assets another way. A- and sense. again, so this is this is the UN works on Two, two sides um it has your social engineering side which labor is very good at doing and then it has your globalist side and it has these people that are absolutely lined up to because they buy and sell that's what they do and and, and global corporates just keep amassing small companies smaller things um and that's how they work you know so it's a it's a it's an asset grab on one side by the people like national john keys businessman um probably christopher luxon who's coming up he's also a businessman and and the social engineering on the other side so so we're caught between the two you know and and once we recognize how both sides work then you can start pushing back you know you've got to know how it works so um because
0: right now we are getting divided among them among ourselves. There are many people who still not realize that even before three waters, you know, even before this um, farce of a process happened this year about uh, talking to the councils and so on, local government New Zealand, um, local government New Zealand is a United Nations construct. United Mm -hmm. Nations wanted the UN agenda, the sustainable development goals to go right down to the local levels, to the school level. So this is a United Nations construct. Local government New Zealand had already signed an agreement with the government that, in case the government needs to use legislation to push forward three waters, local government New Zealand would not object. And now that's why you hear of councils now wanting to opt out. Again, you
1: have, yep. That's a fantastic thing. The Timaru council has just um, opted out of local government New Zealand, you know, and local council sounds really, really boring. But if you've got a slightly um, disruptive and mischievous spirit, you can you can do a lot. <laughs> um, so, they've opted out of local government, New Zealand, which was costing Timaru ratepayers fifty three thousand dollars a year um, to belong to a, an organisation they probably didn't even know they were paying to belong to. Um, Dunedin residents and other residents in New Zealand pay fees to belong to something like Ickley which is the International Council for Local Environmental Initiatives. Initiatives, And it sounds as bad as it sounds. Um, And they pay fees to belong to to these councils that are then actually run by the United Nations. So in the case of Dunedin's Mayor, Aaron Hawkins, he sits on the Oceania Board of Ickley, which is a foreign corrupt and unelected government that he's working for, that all the people in Dunedin are, are not only paying him to work for them, which he's not, they're paying to belong to a gov- you know, to a governance that they don't even know about. So this is how deeply embedded this is. This is, you know, this is not something that's coming, it's already really here, you know, and it's it this is not how. 1939, 1940 started. We are well into the program.
0: Very well into the program. Yeah. Yeah, And most of us don't even realize, every time people start questioning, oh, why is this audit coming? Or why is that audit coming? Or why are we having these fees? I ultimately, I keep telling people, have you looked at all possible reasons? And they go, yeah, doesn't make any sense. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't. There's no reason in reason. This is a mandate that you never gave to your government. And this is now happening. And that's why there's so many people sitting, you know, that, oh, be it uh, the catch calls like uh, dirty daring, be it the catch calls for nitrates in water that all of a sudden uh, seem to be now responsible for, um, I think exposing to a million New Zealanders to bowel cancer. I think those were the, uh, the really scary headlines that were floating about uh, just before coming this year, I noticed. And you had Greenpeace, which is again funded by United Nations, going along to all these rural places, including Gore, which is not too far from me. And you had all these uh, older residents coming along that, oh, there's free water testing happening. And you had photographs, I had photographs in my local uh, rural rag of uh, older people going along with their little containers of water, getting it tested by Greenpeace and being told, oh, you are at severe risk of bowel cancer. And you can see exactly what they are doing. They are turning, whatever narrative they want, they have already have paid actors that are there to push just that. But my biggest grudge against uh, the United Nations is what it has done to our children. Made eco-warriors of them, made activists of them, all the while when our NCAA standards are dropping. New Zealand has been consistently slipping in, you know, the reading, writing, mathematics uh, standards. But uh, when it comes to activism, we have uh, children uh, on the streets, be it for whatever uh, catch call it is, And if this is by Transparency International, again, this is not a very transparent organization, but they spoke to the United Nations and they had uh, put forward a few startling truth bombs. And they said that the world climate and corruption, people see these as two different worlds, but there's a lot of overlap. In a written response, the UNDP, This is a United Nations Development Fund that looks after the climate bit of it. It said it takes all uh, cases of financial mismanagement and other irregularities extremely seriously, but there's billions of dollars that are disappearing at the altar of uh, climate activism and um, emissions. And yet there is really nothing happening. And now we have our own government that signed us up to, uh, what is it, zero carbon by 2050 and- uh, zero zero carbon we have seen uh, i don't know if you saw them uh, jill there were two hit pieces published uh, recently by a professor professor Yu, was it robertson from Otago university just over this last week he incidentally is a professor of gender studies and there were two hit pieces on groundswell and both these uh, hit pieces Seem to focus on the fact that uh, groundswell or farmer movements because again it's about pushing the climate narrative have no rationale for fighting uh, the government and it actually went on to say that the farmers demand is for the clock to stop and it, uh, they can half back you know go back to a time where they were allowed to plunder environment get lots of subsidies and uh, get the prestige back to say that that's what the Groundsville movement is, is. It shows me that the climate activism um, whole narrative is really going to be amped up once James Shaw and is, uh, what's it, his entire of a dozen comes back.
1: Yeah, it's, it, the hit pieces are crazy. Um, I've had the privilege of listening to a, one of New Zealand's most eminent scientists, a, a guy. He was at Dunedin. headed did in for me, um, a guy called Dr. Jock Ellison. Um, this guy knows his stuff and, and he is not buying into the um, CO2 driven climate change at all in, in any way or form. He's, he's got the information to back him up um, and he knows exactly where it's been driven from and, and why. So he, he's wonderful. He's, he's got that grumpy old professor gruffness um, that he uses to make a point. Now, he, he's speaking out publicly about um about the co2 driven climate crisis and he got done with a, a massive hit piece in the otago daily times by a professor of design at the otago university i mean you know this isn't <laughs> even apples and oranges i mean yeah. one of our top scientists got slammed by a designer
0: <laughs> the same way like Gronson got slammed by a professor of gender studies
1: yeah yeah and and um you know when when people are getting hit really hard you need to find out where the attacks are coming from because the person who's been hit is probably or the organization or the group is probably pretty much on 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 the nail you know and and we can see this um this whole UN thing is almost like a giant it is a giant game of chess And, and when you understand how chess works um so we have te- the big technology and the media almost now like the castles, the keeps, um, with the censorship that's going on. You're not allowed to find the truth. It's very hard to find it. Stuff is disappearing off the internet, internet at an alarming rate. Um, and people who are speaking out the truth are, um, are just being censored like Dr. Robert Malone and, you know, voices for yeah. freedom. Um you know, and that's got to make you sit up and think that something is seriously, seriously wrong. But again, this is big technology as a tool yeah. and being used as a weapon by um, unbelievably powerful people.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and rich beyond what we could comprehend. You know, when you look at the George Cyruses and, 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 and um, families that have been, you know, They're dynasties. They're not just a family. They're dynasties going for hundreds of years and accumulated wealth and power. And they are seriously controlling our lives. Mm.
0: And I was this morning, uh, slightly going off track, there's a Welsh farmer I follow, Gareth Wynne-Jones, and he had shared an Instagram post by somebody in the UK who had sent off uh, 900 Romneys for wool, 900 Romneys worth of wool. And they got back an invoice for uh, 22 pounds that they had to pay, yes. because after what the wool was shown, what it was paid, what they paid, and uh, the transportation costs ended up being more than what the wool was worth. And I, I saw it, the total wool bill was, uh, the wool uh, payment that they were getting was about 130 or dollars pounds, and about 150 pounds was the transport. And so this farmer ended up with the invoice of having to pay for the privilege of supplying wool, let alone getting any money. And on the other hand, there was uh, another farmer, when I say farmer, I say that with a pinch of salt, another Greeny with some sort of right globalist credentials who was paid uh, 250,000 uh, pounds to plant 68,000 trees. So sometimes in New Zealand, we, I think are guilty of not looking beyond what's right in front of us, You know, not looking globally where the same things like, here we are talking about forestry, that oh we have got the special forestry test that in 2018 let loose um, all uh, any sort of red tape. Now if a foreign foreigner needs to come and buy land in New Zealand, they no longer need to prove an economic benefit to New Zealand. That test was scrapped, and it was not scrapped for any other industry but for farming. Over the last three years, according to Fair Beef and Lamb reports, which again the government disputes, uh, over 100,000 hectares have gone into pines majority of them owned by foreigners. But if those are the sort of returns like this person in Wales is getting, soon we'll be reaching the same stage here. Unless we stop and look at the bigger picture that's what's globally happening is there's more than one way to skin a cat. You are seeing the exact same things happening around the world, but we are not putting it together. America has something very similar. They have uh, Biden's pet project, it's called uh, 30 by 30. So 30% of uh, land, the US has to be in conservation by 2030. You see all of these uh, different uh, countries all converging to the same goal, the end of farming as we see it. And uh, sometimes when we keep on trying to make sense of oh why is the economics here, what's happening, the land prices, what's happening, we we are I think guilty of not looking at the bigger picture in New Zealand that perhaps let's step back and look at at the bigger picture. This is uh, the what you see on your screen right now is the UN's flagship Green Finance Fund Fights to Regain Credibility. This, from, this is dated from 2019 and it says here that the GCF, uh, just about that picture, those are fishermen in uh, India's coastal communities. Now after 10 years of working with them, most of these fishermen don't even go out to sea anymore. It is Their livelihoods have just completely been destroyed and this is the sort of greenwashing that we often talk about. It is not really that hard to go and find, should I call it dirt on the United Nations. You do have to look beyond Google though. You have to go to DuckDuckGo or the Brave browser, try looking, but otherwise this, this whole agenda is not really hidden. We, unlike what uh, Grant Robertson might say when he threw his uh, toys out of the cotton and as uh, found out of Peter Williams show, saying that, oh, it's a big conspiracy theory, and you have our media also pushing the same narrative, it is really time that we step back and see that what our government, what path are we going down on? And this is not certainly not a path that we agreed to. I don't remember at any time during the last elections or even the ones before that, that we were told that, uh, oh, by the way, this is the mandate we are going to follow. It doesn't matter what you say. And yet every time we are told, oh, the United Nations, it's just voluntary. It's not binding. But when all of those are put into our legislation, they become binding. And that's what we are not seeing here. This is an interesting picture. It should probably be updated because uh, Greta, this this is her expression at, uh, I think this was three years ago, when uh, Trump was still at the helm of affairs in the US and thundering at the United Nations about how dare you destroy my future. And the other is her compatriot, another German, uh, Naomi Sept, who's been talking about on a more uh, something like Jock Allison, you said, yes. trying to talk sense. Yeah. But yeah. what do we see, actually? It is the very fervent, yeah. virtually, this uh, all-Indigenous uh, narrative that's being pushed. And yet, who is actually bearing the brunt of all of these policies?
1: It will be us. And that's, you know, that's where, where you as people come in, you know, like, um, so the, the greeting of New Zealand um, may not be your thing, because you, you yep. might be open, but for people that are rural, band together, get together and, and start using your rural mail, because it still works through lockdown, and, and nobody can track it, um, you know get to council and and say this is what we want we do not want any more pine trees planted in our council area we're, we're going to put or any more polka
0: it. dots on our roads.
1: Yeah you, you know put yeah, $43,000 I think in oh Geneva yeah, yeah but um you know this is where democracy comes in this is this is where you need to get to your council you really need to put down your tools and turn up in council on mass and, and in numbers and, and use a quiet calm and and determined democracy to make your council because you pay them to work for you do yep. what you need them to do so you can put pressure on your council to get out of ickley you can use it to get out of local government new zealand you can use it to um, stop Um, this crazy net zero carbon which at the end of the day with your streetscapes and everything that are going on um, is for the day when you do not have a car because that's the plan you will you will walk you will cycle um, you will take public transport or you'll take uber or or a multi-global corporate company like that or you'll use a lime scooter which again is a multi-global corporate company um the whole idea is for you not to have a house. Um, the whole idea is for you to be completely dependent on your government. So the only way you're going to stop this is stopping it in local council. And they've got all sorts of things designed for you with their spatial planning, um, their net zero carbon redoing of the of the city centre to make it um, hard for you to take your vehicle into. You, you'll be able to drive your vehicle to a hub. Um, park up you will have full facial recognition um, you will then get onto public transport where you'll have full facial recognition tag on tag off all your data is collected um, this is what is coming for you through your local council so if you don't want it it's up to you to front up and stop it and, and I strongly I, I really encourage people get around your kitchen tables Start talking about this. Start communicating about it. You know, um, even if you have to do it by snail mail, um, get organised, group up, and, and then keep your ear out for other groups and 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 join up all the time because that's what grassroots is. And and you can do this. You really can. Um, but how the rural community out there, you are like herding cats with firecrackers. <laughs> Yes,
0: yes. <laughs> it's actually really hard for most people to fathom how, how many arms this beast has. You know, what an octopus it is. Because there's yeah. really nothing, no part of my life that I c- can say today that it's not touching. Be it to what's available in the supermarket, be it to the centralization of the, uh, our hospital records, be it to <laughs> schools. Literally, there's no way, and of course, farming, 24-7, the amount of audits that are coming in, mm-hmm. the price, the housing prices, the scarcity of uh, sections, and all those annoying bicycle lanes, which are well and good if you have, uh, you know, if it's at the right place, but bang in the middle of CBD when you're causing cars, cars to, to bumper, there's really no aspect of a life that remains untouched by the United Nations, so it's high time we really get in uh, get read up about the beast and start demanding answers of the people who live, walk walk and talk, you know, they live in our community, our counselors, our local community boards and so on. These are just a few quotes here from uh, some eminent people who uh, served at the helm of United Nations. This is uh, Tim Wirth saying, we've got to write the global uh, warming issue. Even if the theory of global warming is wrong, we'll be doing the right thing in terms of economic policy and uh, environmental policy. This is more strong, again, uh, with the blue, typical blue uh, UN uh, sign. Isn't the only hope for the planet that industrialization, uh, industrialized civilizations collapse? Isn't it our responsibility to bring this about? And I would agree this is actually happening right now. We are actually harking back to, I think it's going to be horse, uh, horse cart soon if we don't uh, start saying something. You've recently heard the uh, automobile industry come out strongly against the new emission norms because they can see they're not workable. But the point is, these are different fringe groups. You have 50 shades of green, you have the automobile industry, you have, um, I saw the horse trucks, anything that has been modified since 2005, they now all need to undergo an inspection, something uh, costing 30 to $40,000. My daughter's uh, pony club instructor, they had bought a bus, uh, a horse bus and, after spend, I mean, I believe that was over fifty thousand, and uh, an inspection for that is going to cost twenty thousand dollars, and it's about six months away. All these things, if you start looking closely, they are very, very connected to how much mobility and how much choice you're going to have uh, in your life. This is the former UN climate chief Rajendra Pachori, who's from India, saying that for me. The protection of planet Earth, the species, the sustainability, it's my religion and my dharma. Dharma is a Hindi word for God, what I believe in. And when climate science starts becoming a religion, I turn agnostic. There is uh, also, this is probably the best one, Ah, I'm not sure if the entire screen can be seen, but this was the UN climate chief in 2004, Christina uh, Figueres, who said And this comes to a lot of what we are seeing today that communism is the climate's only hope, is the environment's only hope. And uh, she went on to elaborate in her uh, speech on this and that speech has been wiped off Google completely. It's only available on uh, DuckDuckGo. And she went on to say that democracy takes too long to make decisions. Democracy takes too much time to reach a consensus. And she hailed China as a model to be able to do things quickly, achieve things faster. And as she said, the Chinese government, the CCP, when they want something done, they get it done. Is this truly something that we want to be having for our future or for our kids' future or anything on those lines? And that is why I keep on saying that we need to start reading a bit more on what it is affecting our lives. Because after a while, the time will come and one will see that, no matter where you look at it, many of the policies today that we are seeing from the current government, or even be it national again, I don't want to seem to be particularly hammering labor, regardless of whosoever is in power, they make no sense. They make no sense at all. And Three Waters is probably a classic example. You have one after another council coming up strongly saying that no, nah, this, this does not work. And we have the government here not even providing us the financial assumptions based on which three waters is going to be saving us money. All we've been told is uh, it's going to create 9,000 new jobs. And I don't know how you create 9,000 new jobs and save money. I actually submitted to my council that uh, since we were being told if we opt in, it's going to be in the region of 12 dollars to $1,800 per year for water in uh, 2050. If we don't, it's $9,800. And I said even 9800 doesn't look that bad it's just 4.5 percent annualized over 30 years but at least give us the financial assumptions and you will see typically there is this thing of uh, shutting you down so like if you have three waters it is all very nicely packaged Jill, I don't know uh, think don't know if you uh, agree with it it's all very nicely packaged under the guise of equity and mm. if you start asking questions there are many people who are scared of being uh, called a racist call, uh, there's another person, I believe, when I put a question on this saying that not trusting the government, uh, not looking at uh, historic issues and so on. But since when have we reached a stage that we're simply asking questions of the people who represent us has become a racist issue. Mm-hmm.
1: It's been designed, it's it's absolutely been designed that way. Um, Socialism one hundred and one is to um, to divide and conquer. Yeah, and it's not just um, in communities where it divides and conquers. Um, Socialism one hundred and one is to destroy the family unit, um, and and it's been designed to destroy the family unit. We we now have too many fathers that have been replaced by a welfare check. Yeah, um, a- our kids are. Are set against parents um, on the education, again the vaccine comes into it again, you know. So so the whole divide and conquer thing is is very much a strategy, and that's where democracy is such a powerful weapon because when we all pull together against it it, it, it can't thrive. You know, it can only thrive if they if we allow it to. And he power power, which is tied up with three waters has been designed to be a racially a document that you can use um, the moment you bring it up you can say well you're a racist because you And it's so- it
0: and I've been here 12 13 years I have not never seen such divisiveness in the fabric of uh, New Zealand yeah. as I've seen over the last 18 months literally any debate if you try to engage in it you're shut down as a racist and yeah. uh, that. That is, uh, for me, I see that there's very sinking sense of deja vu because uh, you see people turning against each other. And I have historically, coming from where I do, you in India, you had religions being pitted, you know, one against the other during mm-hmm. elections by politicians. You, they, would have, they would be looking for minority votes, Muslim votes or the uh, Christian votes and so on in a Hindu country. And I'm a minority group, again, myself, Sikh. So you would see uh, them, you know, paying lip service to different yeah. communities. And at the end of the day, none of us were the winners. None of us were the winners. And uh, the same way you have now the United Nations, every single thing now in New Zealand, most of them over the last year have been tailored to say that this is for the United Nations, they call it the UN DRIP, United Nations Declaration for Indigenous People, 2040. But I often say, if you really want to see how the United Nations treated indigenous people, go to Africa, just go to Africa yeah. and see. You
1: know? Yeah. And, follow, and follow Bill Gates um, with the United Nations journey in, into Africa, yeah. um, you know, the, these people are, are all intertwined and they just leave a, a trail of destruction and, and heartache. It's a horror.
0: Today, uh, Ethiopia, or uh, was it yesterday afternoon, Ethiopia asked uh, the three or four top UN staffers to leave the country. And uh, Antonio Guterres, the uh, Secretary General has been trying to, you know, for sort of calm the diffuse the situation. But two years ago, Ethiopia, uh, United Nations and the World Economic Forum was lauding it as having achieved this uh, ridiculous, <laughs> having achieved its climate goals because in a single day, Ethiopia planted 350 million trees. Yeah, that's Ethiopia. And this is the same country that can't afford food. 40% of its children, are stunted, physically stunted because of uh, massive childhood malnutrition. And yet we are harping on about climate change. There is, it, it boggles belief,
1: it literally boggles belief that what is happening. Climate change, well, the, the, the United Nations driven climate change is actually the linchpin to the 17 sustainable development goals. So, and we're going to talk about those in a fortnight. Um, but the 17 Sustainable Development Goals is the plan that the United Nations has come up with that has to save the world. On, on top of carrying out these goals, um, we also need to pay the United Nations billions of dollars, and they will stop this out of control um, climate change that we've got going. So, it's, it's a lie. And again, start at your local council, because your council is now making, you know, it's saying that we, that we have to do this because of climate change this and climate change that. Demand the science. Ask them for it. You paid for it. They, they will all have it, you know, and we can only start tearing this down from the bottom. So... And our, our local council, our mayor declared a climate crisis because, you know, kids asked him to, so he did. You know, so we have climate crisis declared in Central our Central Otago District Council area. Um, what the kids and the kiddies didn't know is that the word crisis has a legalese meaning to it, which means that council can now do more without the public knowing about it because we've got ongoing crisis. So Something that's like the
0: COVID Evidency Act, yeah.
1: Yeah. And and because we've got this climate crisis, we we now need to we need to get this done, and we need to get that done, and we we need to um, make all these changes, and and they're made without your consultation. So your council is not working for you; it's working behind your back, or many of them, not all of them. Um, so it, again, it starts at council. What you know, the spatial planning. Um, you know, it was all about climate change and using good land that could grow food on. Um, so now we're not going to sprawl outwards, but we're going to sprawl upwards. Oh, upwards. You know, and, and your quarter your acre section is now cut down and you may find that the neighbouring section sells and you get two blocks of six storey flats of community housing right next door to you. There's nothing you can do unless you stop it now. And now is really a good time. I see someone here asking
0: about what, where to where to from Hegels. Now at this point, where New Zealanders is, is a really good time. You have councils, your own local councillors speaking up against the government. This is yep. the time. community should be going and supporting those back few them. good men and women who are speaking up. Mm-hmm. They are sticking their necks out for you. It is your time to go and support them and band together.
1: Yeah, yeah, back them. You know the people the people that are working for you. Show them that you have their back, and, and the people that aren't working for you, remove them. And you're well within your power to do that. As a democracy, you can remove the people from power that that aren't working for you. You can start a movement. Um, but you know the the guys that are out there that really are putting it all on the line um, for the people that they're working for, back them, back them big time, because there's not many of them around. <laughs>
0: no no okay. and this is you will you will never get this moment back again this yeah. is the first time in a long time that people would have seen local government openly coming out up in arms against the central government yeah. and mm. which effectively for me is openly coming out against the united nations agenda
1: yeah and so so like um nanaya mahatu mahuta. Mahuta, mahuta sorry um, she's head of local government New Zealand so if every council in New Zealand if you've got every council in New Zealand work on your council, your area if we got every council forced to leave local government New Zealand God, there's a shell left. you know, you know so, so undermine it from the bottom if you, if you want to get rid of this agenda and I really hope you do um, undermine it from the bottom take it out of your local council and let your council know that you won't have anything to do with it. You know, Go to the
0: local government New Zealand website, uh, that's lgnz.co.nz, and start looking at the publications. I don't have the exact link now, but there's a publication related to Three Waters dating back from 2015, or was it 2017? That document is available there. It's a 28 page document. On the very last pages, what Three Waters is doing now was explored three, four years back in detail. Mm-hmm. And the conclusion of that was, literally, it's there in black and white that the local government NZ, said that this is like taking a sledgehammer to a nail. There is no point of making a massive bureaucracy that will achieve very little. New Zealand, even on the United Nations uh, pages, says that 97% of New Zealand has clean water. And there is this government claiming that what you're getting out of your um, taps is sludge. Local government New Zealand that has today is agreeing to um, the, with the central government three years ago was singing a very different tune that's use their own documents their own research as weapons against them dig out their document from their uh, website and uh, ask your councillors what happened in these three years how did you do a complete turnaround on this one. They will, you will never get this opportunity again.
1: It's just um, to, to sort of finish up is that because this is such a huge subject, go to the people that have already researched it, like again, Rosa Corey, um, Antoinette James is um, under the shadow of the UN. There's an American man, Tom, De- Tom DeWeese, um, his knowledge on the United Nations and how it works is astounding. and And they can cut through so much of the research for you and give you a very clear outline of, of how it works. So that when you read your local paper, you can go, oh yeah, that fits into there. I know exactly what's going on. And, and so you can shortcut 20 years of of my research into this into, into a very condensed form. And, and I, I highly recommend that you do it. Um, you, you simply cannot fight a war if you can't recognize your enemy. And these people are your enemy. They They hate your guts and they hate us all equally. There is no discrimination <laughs> and the Precisely, of- there is none. Uh, if people are thinking, yes.
0: because please don't let this divide you, this whole narrative over last yes. year, as far as I'm concerned, it's garbage. I That's yes. not to say that you don't have racism or something, but to claim that the entire country is racist is ridiculous. Yes. And to say that everything that's being done is for racial justice is ridiculous. And uh, to... Uh, sort of elaborate on this point, I think that mate of mine would probably be watching, but we'll keep her anonymous. A friend of mine called me a couple of weeks ago and uh, she started speaking about her daughter. Her daughter is a very responsible teenager. She's the only uh, teen who's taken care of my kids, uh, babysat them and mine are a handful. And um, so she came back from school really upset. So her mom, my friend spoke to her. And it seems that the entire history lesson at a premier school in Invercargill was geared such that this child, this teenager, very sensitive teenager, was made to feel she's white, that she is responsible for the entire uh, burden of colonialism as it is. And you already have teen depression, teen suicide happening in this country. You need to ask yourself, why is this being taught in schools? What is happening since when are our children okay as being pawns, and why are we not saying anything about it? And this is exactly what's going to happen. You're going to have the same narrative perpetuated. And I I find it extremely dangerous. I have lived through a Sikh genocide myself. 5,000 Sikhs were killed in one day in 1984. Uh, I've also seen a Muslim genocide in India. It's with a very sinking sense of deja vu that I see it. But again, you need to realize all these narratives. Again, Antonio Guterres uh, who uh, earlier every time he's speaking about covid vaccines he's saying equity the marginalized he recently even spoke about how colonialism is again grabbing all the vaccines and uh, from the top shelves and giving it to the developed world and again you know the marginalized the communities are not getting it yeah somewhere the penny has to drop that this is divide and rule in another form and our children the battles that we don't fight today are what we are leaving for our children to
1: fight And if if we don't stand up now, we're we're in quite serious. Well, we are in serious trouble. Um, and and I for one, I, I don't want this machine to um, roll over us at all. My my mother lived through it. My father lived on the edges of it. Um, and I want to leave a really cool country that I grew up in. Um, I know it's not going to be the same because things move forward. But I want my children to live in freedom, um, and I don't want them to live in a technical. Or a very high tech open air prison, which is basically the big plan for this. We, we, everything's facial recognition, you can't do anything without your government. So, in a, in a fortnight's time, we're going to um, Jasper and I are going to go through the 17 sustainable development goals, make them a little bit easier for you to uh, condense them a little bit, and, and you can see where are actually um, going, to
0: Brazil, you know, really rather than just
1: live. And, and I, I urge you to get really active in your, in your local council and start turning it up. Um, these people work for you. This is your house. You do own it. Um, the people who aren't working for you, they are your tenants. Evict them. A- and the people that are standing for you, you let them know that, that you're backing them and, and, and that you will help them and you will help them grow a voice. And um, I wish you all strength. um, go for it. It can be a lot of fun. And um, and I hope that everybody can have a little bit of downtime from all the doom and gloom and realize that there are amazing groups and people out there that are fighting really hard and and loving it. And there is good news and and people are standing up and not everything is just a total bummer. Um, Life's great. It's a gift and and go for it, grab it with both hands and go hard.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jill. It's good to end on a positive note. We will see uh, everyone again in a couple of weeks' time. Where, uh, as Jill said, we'll be breaking up the Sustainable Development Goals from what they sound to how it's actually being implemented in New Zealand. Out of the 17, we'll take three or four at a time and uh, sort of try to relate them. And uh, I see people here asking me about the report, uh, the one that I referred to. What I will do is that once this uh, tonight's discussion is uploaded on the Odesi channel, in the comments there I'll put a link to that exact report that I was talking about so you can see how local government New Zealand has turned around on its position uh, completely in the last three years. Right. Okay. Thank you so much uh, everybody. There's still nearly a thousand people here. And we've taken enough of your time on a Sunday evening. Go well and uh, stand
1: up. Stand up. Yes, stand up. We'll see you in a fortnight.
0: Yep. Thank you, everyone. Good night.
1: Okay.
0: Bye. 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 Bye.